Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, in today's statistics episode. We reap the wind and the sky when the sun is high. We sail the length of the seas on the ocean breeze. At night we name every star. We know where we are. We know who we are, who we are. The Oscars were last night, but uh, that, the, all of the reactions and, and feelings about that will be addressed in uh, Wednesday's episode uh, with, with guest Avi. However, today's episode is all about how to train your dragon in the hidden world and the statistics therein, uh, which is exciting. I'm looking forward to to talking about this movie and getting into some of the more finer details at the end of this episode uh when i get to the circle of film awards that this film qualifies for uh you know i'm gonna try to i don't have the finer details of the 2019 circle of film awards set up just yet but I will give sort of a cursory look at the films being considered for each category, uh, especially given that How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World is being considered for quite a many of, quite a few of them. So uh, that's uh, that's where this episode is headed, and we will we'll get into it. Here we go. So, How to Train Your Dragon: colon, The Hidden World uh, is a 2019 film. I saw it uh, on February 24th, 2019. So I saw it yesterday, Oscar Sunday, uh, before the ceremony in the early afternoon, and uh, it clocked in at about an hour and ninety-seven minutes. That's including the sort of flashbacks uh, in the credit sequence at the end. Otherwise, it's about an hour thirty-four. Um, my brief summary of the film: A new foe forces the village to find a new home away from danger. And uh, I think that's pretty pretty fair assertion. You know, the film revolves around uh, F. Murray Abraham's character, uh, whose name is Grimmel, uh, who is a dragon hunter in in many in many ways, and he is is being tasked to hunt down uh, Toothless. So, in his exp- in in his drive, in his need to do that he ends up uh, forcing the entire village of Burke to to leave the place they've called home for generations and uh, find somewhere safer and there's a lot more to it a lot, a lot more going on besides that but that is uh, in and of itself the the main thing main main part of of this movie <clears throat> so uh, I gave the film a 70. Now, uh, this is definitely another step down from the How to Train Your Dragon 2, which I thought was itself a step down from How to Train Your Dragon. That said, a 70 is pretty good score, and, uh, you know, most of the issues are kind of a muddled story for much of the film. I think the villain is a little weak, and uh, we'll get into that when we talk about the characters and, and the writing. But... Uh, that said, it, it still caps one of the better trilogies ever, uh, animated or otherwise, and I think it's a respectable trilogy that that has earned its place as one of the best ones, and I 
still, you know, even, you know, I rewatched the first and second films not too long ago, and I was very, very uh, pleased, and, and I thought they held up incredibly well, and I think from a visual standpoint, this one is going to hold up incredibly well, too. So that's, uh, yeah, so I, I think 70, not exceptional, but, but so few films are, and, and 70 is a very strong score, and I think it deserves it. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it currently has a 92, uh, 92, which is very high. The whole franchise, I think, has very strong Rotten Tomato score ratings, and so this doesn't exactly surprise me. Um, yeah. So, moving on, let's, let's talk about the director. Let's get into the director first. Uh, film was, uh, if I resort this really quick... The film was directed by Dean DeBlois. DeBlois? 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 Uh, this is the second film of his that I have seen as a director. Uh, it drops his average film rating to a 77. It's his only film rated in the 70s. Second best movie, worst movie overall. Coming in behind How to Train Your Dragon 2. Value of 2.5. Score of 41. And he is ranked 395th overall. Tied with Gaspar Noé. Um, Alberto Vazquez, George Tillman Jr., he's just behind Richard Donner, Superman, and just ahead of Ivan Reitman, Dave Ghostbusters. I love you, man. Dean DeBlois, 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 uh, he did a great job in, in capturing a huge scope in the second film. And in the third, in this wrap-up of the trilogy... There are some truly outstanding moments in the movie. Uh, it felt like he knew exactly what he wanted to end this trilogy on. The last five, ten minutes of the, mo- of the film are, are exceptionally well made and well done. But it, it was the meaty chunk getting to there that really stuck out as, um, if not bad, just uh, inferior relative to the quality of the previous two films. I, I think, and, and this this is partial. This definitely um, connect. This definitely is can be attributed far more to the writing, in my opinion, than to the direction. But I, I do think he has a hand in it. In that, what what ultimately happens is that we're we're and we end up with a couple of different plots running simultaneously. We have um, Grimmel hunting Toothless. Okay, that's our villain, that's, you know, uh, which leads uh, Hiccup, who is the chief of Burke, to bring the entire village away from where they're originally based and and try to escape uh, with all of their dragons, who they have grown friendly with, who they have become uh, dependent on, codependent upon each other. And uh, who have, you know, cohabitated. And they, they want to live with these dragons. They have a good life together. And because of how many dragons they have, they are a target. And it's it's kind of overflowing. Burke is not very big, at least the original Burke. And so you have Hiccup's entire inner story about him coming to terms with um, believing in himself without Toothless. Uh, learning to be a chief. Learning to uh, find his way and his role in... Uh, this this tribe of people. So that's number two. Third, 
Third, uh, you have a female Night Fury or Light Fury uh, who is drawing Toothless's attention away from everything else. And, you know, Toothless finally, you know, despite a, an incredible attachment and, and devotion to Hiccup and, and love for Hiccup, presumably, uh, Toothless has, has his own agenda. He, he's still his own dragon and he still wants things for himself not just for hiccup and and this movie really pushes that envelope and, and tests uh the 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 range and and extent to which uh that that bond can be tested and so you have these three simultaneously running narratives I think these are the pretty main ones there are a couple of very small things happening what I what I what I think and 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 I think both the second film and the first film also had these these multi-narrative this multi-narrative structure a lot of inner and outer conflicts happening Um, you know I think each one tests hiccup each one tests Burke each one tests toothless or or maybe um i think in in the second film i would say it more tests stoic as a, as a third party and so on and and so the films know how to balance these storylines this film did not feel like it knew how to balance these storylines and i think a lot of that is just on the decision of how much time to award each individual plot um whether or not uh, you know, what, what, how much characterization to give to the villain and to the people who hire the villain and, and everyone outside of that and, and, and that entire story. Um, the, ele- the, the strange elevation of some of the minor characters to a little bit more uh, relevant this time around was, was puzzling as well. Uh, I think the film wasn't entirely sure how to fit in Hiccup's mother into the story now that she was, you know, a permanent resident. And that really showed. I really wasn't a fan of the way they addressed that entire storyline, uh, that character and how her her relationship with everyone else. So I think there are some problems. But again, I, I did give this film a very a, a solid score. And I think... Um, Many of the problems are are not not nit, nit, not not quite nitpicky, but I, I think they are not quite as substantial as I make them out to be, and I think I'm only harping on them so much because this is a very good trilogy. These are very good movies, and I think they have set the standards very high. And uh, the higher you set your standards, the easier it is to come under them. So. Uh, for writers, uh, two credited writers on the film. The first is director Dean DeBloy. Uh, this is the fourth film of his I've seen. It drops his average film rating to an 82.5. It's his second film in the 70s and worst slash fourth best film overall, coming in behind Lilo and Stitch. He has a value of 5.5, a score of 60.5, and is ranked 86th overall, tied with Michael Bacall, and one spot behind Simon Pegg, one spot ahead of Francis Ford Coppola. Not not bad company. Uh, the second writer on the film is Cressida Cowell. This is her fifth film credit, increasing her average film range to a 67.4. It's her only film in the 70s. Third best movie overall, coming in behind How to Train Your Dragon 2. And uh, ahead of 
uh, Gift of the Night Fury, which is a short film related to the franchise. And so let's let's get into what I think the story, uh, uh, where where it takes makes its missteps, and and what I think it, it could have done a little bit better or or done to strengthen its its narrative. I think most of the resolutions, or, or I even say all of the resolutions to these narrative through lines are strong. I, I like where they all ended up. I liked the last few moments of them. I liked the final moments of the conflict between Hiccup and Gremmel. I liked the the final, you know, re, um, realizations that Hiccup has as as a person, as a leader, as a chief, and how that translated into his actions. I liked, you know, the results of Hick of of Toothless and what ended happened with him and how he sort of uh, became you know, truer to himself as, as a dragon and understood, you know, where he should be and what he's, his purpose was. I think all of those stories worked at the end. And even the ideas of them I, and, and the, the themes of them are, are interesting and fascinating. You know, Hiccup has relied on, on Toothless a lot and not without just cause and not without good reason, but he has turned you know, he along the way he has sort of forsaken the trust he has in himself and his ability to rely on just himself. And I think giving him the opportunity to take over and take control without needing this quote-unquote crutch uh, is a strong message to send. I think um, following Burke and and you know recognizing that. Just like they did in Thor Ragnarok, um, home is where the people are, not you know the not the place. And I I think that's still a really good message, even if we just saw it a couple of years ago, and it, it still resonates with with me and presumably a lot of other people. So I I appreciated the fact that the film took the time to, you know, not only allow Hiccup this opportunity to say, hey, look. I know how this must must be and feel and and you know this must hurt some of you but this is something that we need to do because if we don't it's going to be much worse for us and for our dragons and everyone else and it gave you know everyone a little bit of time to really have this conversation we heard other viewpoints of it and it was rationalized and talked about and I think they gave it uh, its due process and and the results show you know the results show them uh, or, you know, the results show themselves. Uh, the problem, though, uh, the problem, though, is that the villain storyline, I'm not even... So So the idea here is that uh, there's there's this, this great dragon hunter who specializes in hunting night furies uh, who, who we haven't heard about before, which I don't actually have as much of a problem uh, with as, as maybe other people do. What strikes me, actually, as the more preposterous thing, is that Grimmel, we're introduced to Grimmel, he's an unsavory character. I, I think he's voiced brilliantly by F. Murray Abraham, but still uh, un, doesn't get enough characterization for my liking. But the problem I had was 
how could he not know that another Night Fury existed? He is the foremost expert in theory. He is, has apparently killed many, many, many Night Furies in his time. And Hiccup is by no means, you know, hiding Toothless or, you know, himself or Burke or their love for dragons or anything like that. Clearly, all these other people who hired Grimmel knew. Why didn't Grimmel know? How could he not know? Furthermore, uh, the, the it, we're introduced to a Light Fury in the same scene almost as uh, Grimmel, relatively speaking. And while the film doesn't explicitly say that they're the same species, uh, where which I guess they might not be, you know, they do have distinct differences, but they're relatively the same. I like the the idea that he wouldn't know that a light fury existed, a female existed either. Like he calls it a female, not even a light fury. He just says, "Oh, it's a female of toothless." And so like same species, which also bothered me that that was something unknown to this theoretical night fury master hunter. Uh, so I had issues with that. If you're going to establish him as someone we need to fear because he does have this reputation, uh, first scene we meet him, I felt like they undermined that idea from my point of view. Now, on the other side, why wouldn't anybody know about him? The only person that does know about him is Eret, uh, voiced by Kit Harrington, And that, him knowing makes sense. You know, he had this whole other life and... I don't know, it feels like he would have shared some of this information, uh, at least in the meantime, but I don't know, it's tough to set up a movie like this where in the previous films, because you don't know you're going to, especially in the first one, you didn't know you're going to get a sequel, and I don't know, it's tough, tough, to, tough to criticize because I think there's so many things that... Uh, you can't just you can't possibly have foresight on and the the best option would have been to figure out a different way different villain or, or some alternative uh for this conflict uh so grimmel himself just just likes to kill night furies and and dragons i guess um yeah that's that's his motivation i don't know he, because we kind of get this shaky backstory of his where he's kind of a, um, the opposite of Hiccup. You know, he grew up, he found a Night Fury, he killed it. Like, that's kind of silly. I didn't like that at all. So I, I do think that some of the writing is weak. I think most of that revolves around Grimmel. Um, and only vaguely, vaguely seeps into um, the, the, the relocation of Burke narrative i think a lot everything that had to do with toothless I, I really enjoyed and i thought they did a great job with that but mostly it's criminal for the writing which brings us to the performances so here we go bunch of bunch of voices bunch of voices starting out with Kate Blanchett. uh she plays volka this is the 47th film of hers i've seen it increases her average film rate to a 63.19 it's her 11th film rate in the 70s and 24th best movie overall coming in behind uh, herself in Spielberg, which is a documentary, coming in ahead of The Carnival is Over. 
She has a value of 18, a score of 78.61, and is ranked 19th overall, one spot behind Leonardo DiCaprio, one spot ahead of Best Flowers. I mentioned before, Cate uh, Blanchett voicing Valka really didn't feel like they knew what to do with her. Uh, they gave um, Snotlout this this weird one-sided uh, romance storyline with her and Snotlout, and I was not interested in it at all. Um, so the only real moment she gets... Uh, I don't know, maybe not even. I, I don't know that she really even gets a good moment in this movie. She mostly spends it either uh, coaching Astrid um, to to support Hiccup and, and show Hiccup the right way to do things. And uh, I don't know, she just kind of felt like they didn't know what to do with her, unfortunately. Next up is Jonah Hill. This is the 40th film of his I've seen. It increases his average film rate to a 62.08. It's his 10th film rate in the 70s and 17th best movie overall. Coming in behind The 40-Year-Old Virgin and ahead of Rocket Science. He has a value of 13.5, a score of 72.62, and is ranked 59th overall. One spot behind Bob Peterson. One spot ahead of Frank O'Connor. Jonah Hill, the aforementioned snotlout. Pretty much spends the entire movie being um, heroic in in uh, personality, uh, but not in actions, as well as fawning over Valka. And I uh, didn't. I don't know why they had to elevate all the side characters to being more than that, because I thought they did fine as they used to be. For me, anyway. Next up is Ashley Jensen. This is her 10th film credit, increasing her average film to a 69.1. It's her only film in the 70s and sixth best movie overall, coming in behind her voice role in The Pirates, Band of Misfits, and ahead of Topsy Turvy. She has a value of 7.5, a score of 65.08, and is ranked 226th overall, one spot behind Edward Norton, one spot ahead of Tony Shalhoub. Ashley Jensen is the voice of Flema who I don't actually remember. I'm sure I can find a picture of it without too much work, maybe. She is just um, just a female Viking. That's all. She doesn't have any relevance to the story. Moving on. Kristen Wiig. This is her 39th film credit, increasing her average film rating to a 58.69. It's her 6th film, rated in the 70s, and 16th best movie overall, coming in behind Extract. And ahead of Paul, she has a value of 8.5, a score of 64.33, and is ranked 251st overall, one spot behind John Hillerman, one spot ahead of Katie Leung. Leung. Kristen Wiig, the voice of Roughnut. Uh, she, she gets a scene... We got a lot of Tough Nut in this movie, but Rough Nut has her own one has one decent I don't know if decent is the right word. One scene, prominent scene, I guess, where she annoys uh Grimmel. Just annoys him. Uh just constant talking, constant talking, constant talking. And I I liked it actually. I, I thought that was a decent way. I didn't need anything else from her in this whole movie. I thought she did a good job of just being like, this is why we never see me on the screen, because I am in ter I'm terribly annoying and, and self-centered, and all I care about is myself and how I appear to other people, and I think that works. I think, and, and, and Kristen Wiig is, is good in, as that voice. 
of, of Tough Nut. Rough Nut. Rough Nut. Next up is F. Murray Abraham. This is his 15th film credit, increasing his average film range to a 62 even. It's his fourth film rated in the 70s and eighth best movie overall, coming in behind All the President's Men and ahead of his voice role in Isle of Dogs. He has a value of 6, a score of 60.71, and is ranked 423rd overall, one spot behind Robert Greig, Grieg, one spot ahead of B.B. Anderson. F. Murray Abrahamson, Abraham, the voice of Grimmel, the villain. As I said before, I thought his voice work for Grimmel was really, really strong, but uh, it was just kind of held back by the characterization of the character. I think he could have done a lot more. Uh, but even as it is, he, he does a fantastic job as a villain. Uh, I thought he was ex- especially threatening and without being loud, without being overbearing, without being um, obnoxious. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I really thought it was good. Next up is Craig Ferguson. This is his 10th film credit, increasing his average film range to a 63.6. It's his only film in the 70s and 6th best movie overall, coming in behind How to Train Your Dragon 2 and ahead of Gift of the Night Fury. Yeah. Uh, he has a value of 5, a score of 58 even, and is ranked 585th overall. Tied with a bunch of people, one spot behind Diego Luna, one spot ahead of Jolo Truglio. Craig Ferguson continues uh, in his role as Gobber, uh, who... I don't know. I I expected a more somber gobber in this movie, uh, given what happens at the end of the second one. And uh, he just felt exactly the same, like nothing changed about him. His main through line was this weird mini, like really small dragon that he felt was a harbinger of of doom or something. And and, and I don't don't know. I I didn't think that storyline paid out at all. Yeah. So... Greg Ferguson. Next up is Jay Baruchel. This is his 23rd film credit, increasing his average film rate to a 56.91. It's his sixth film, rated in the 70s, and 10th best movie overall, coming in behind Goon and head of Knocked Up. He has a value of 3.5, a score of 55.86, and is ranked 752nd overall, one spot behind John Marley, one spot ahead of Judy Garland. Uh, you know, Jay Baruchel, the voice of Hiccup, again, continues to do a fantastic job as Hiccup. You can hear... The, the, the slow maturity in, in Hiccup as he's aged throughout these three films. Um, even in, you know, as far as the epilogue of the film goes as well. And, uh, I mean, Baruchel just really gets this character. And, and I, I don't, you, you know, Bar- Jay Baruchel doesn't have, like, the most, I don't know, like, um, not melodic, but, but, pleasing voice necessarily but somehow you know he hick his voice for hiccup works you can feel the the i don't know you can just feel the emotion through it and and he does a great job of conveying uh the right level of exasperated with the rest of his um his teammates and friends and so on and, and with his relationship with astrid with his relationship with toothless they they all he plays off so many of these characters so well and it's uh it's it's a joy, and uh, I think he's done. It's a lot. big thanks to him that that hiccup has become as prominent as he is. Next up is America Ferrera. This is her tenth film credit, increasing her average film range to a sixty-one point eight. It's her only film in the seventies and fifth best movie overall, coming in behind How to Train Your Dragon two, and ahead of Gift of the Night Fury. She has a value of four, a score of fifty-five point five, and is ranked seven hundred eightieth overall. 
tied with Tracy Letts, one spot behind Anna Devere Smith, one spot ahead of Toby Jones. The voice of Astrid. I I liked what they did with Astrid this movie. I, I liked this sort of story about, you know, it's easier to rule with two people than it is with one. You know, she is Hiccup's girlfriend. She is Hiccup's trusted um, partner. And I think the idea of, you know, this, you know, treat, you know, he should be treating her like he should look for her advice. He should, you know, be seeking her uh, counsel all, at all times. I think I like that storyline. I don't know if, I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like America Ferreira's voice work was as good in this as it had been. Um, it kind of stuck out to me a little bit, and uh, that surprised me. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But I thought it was uh, one of the weaker voice performances uh, in the film. Next up is Christopher Mintz Plaz. Plasse, Plaz. Uh, he has twenty. This is his twenty-third film credit, increasing his average film rate to a fifty-four point six five. It's his fourth film rate in the seventies and seventh best movie overall. Coming in behind this is the end and ahead of Neighbors. He has a value of two, a score of fifty-two point two eight, and is ranked one thousand and seventy-sixth overall. One spot behind Rita Moreno and one spot ahead of Elizabeth Rodriguez. Christopher Mintz Plaz is the voice of Fishlegs, uh, who is one of the few side characters that really didn't feel like he was elevated at all. Uh, in this movie, as opposed to Rough Nut, Tough Nut, Snot Lout, um, who all did, and, and he was not. Next up is David Tennant. This is his 11th film credit, increasing his average film rating to a 58.55. It's his second film in the 70s and fourth best movie overall, coming in behind his voice role in The Pirates, Band of Misfits, and ahead of his role in Jude. He has a value of 2.5, a score of 52.04, and is ranked 1,100th. Overall, one spot behind David Oyelowo and one spot ahead of Randy Quaid. David Tennant uh, is the voice of Spitelout slash Ivar the Witless. Yep, I don't know who those refer to, but I think Ivar is one of the people who hires Grimmel, maybe. So it's probably that. Kit Harrington is next up. This is his sixth film credit, increasing his average film rate to a 59.33. It's his only film in the 70s and third best movie overall. Coming in behind... Seven Days in Hell, and ahead of Testament of Youth. He has a value of 2, a score of 46.5, and is ranked 1,724th overall. Tied with a bunch of people, including Amy Ryan, Peter Boyle, and Christopher Abbott, he is one spot behind Winona Ryder and one spot ahead of Sonia Braga. Kit Harrington, uh, reprising his role as the voice of Eret, he... He, very much like Volca, felt out of place, and, uh, you know, I, I think he the, the character of Eret fits great in this world, in this universe, um, and in, in even in Burke, but the writers didn't know what to do with him, so it is what it is. Next up is Jamin Hounsou. This is his 22nd film credit, increasing his average film rate to a 46.77. It's his third film in the 70s and seventh best movie overall. Coming in behind Hotel Rwanda, coming in ahead of Blood Diamond. He has a value of negative 6, a score of 36.88, and is ranked 3,006th overall, tied with Constance Wu and Moon Bloodgood. One spot behind Charlie Cox, one spot ahead of John Grease. Jamin Hounsou, uh, not listed on 
IMDB, but he is listed on Letterboxd. So let's just see. Maybe there's a discrepancy. See, they attribute him to reprising the role of Drago Bloodfist. And I put that in, and I wasn't entirely sure. I'm trying to remember. I don't know that they flash back to Drago. So this may be a mistake. This may be a mistake. I'm going to take it out for the time being um, and adjust that uh, appropriately. So, snip, snap, snoop. Um, just for sake of uh, transparency, Jimin Hansu now has 21 film credits, an average film rating of 40. It's loading. Okay, that is how long it takes when I when I update my spreadsheet for it to cycle through everything and uh, fix all the adjusted formulas. Jimin Hounsu, 21 film credits, now has an average film rating of 45.67, a uh, value of negative 7, and a score of 34.7, which ranks him 3,280th, so he is now 274 spots lower than he was. Moving on. Robin Atkin Downs. This is somebody I added to the spreadsheet because of this movie. This is his 30th film credit that I've seen. It improves his average film rating to a 41.57. It's his third film rating in the 70s. Fourth best movie overall. Coming in behind his voice role in Justice League, colon, Doom. And ahead of uh, his Stormtrooper role uh, in Rogue One, colon, A Star Wars Story. He has a value of negative 20, a score of 18.97, and is ranked 4,543rd overall. Uh, one spot behind Jay Leno. And one spot ahead of Lilia Scala. He is the voice of Ack. Could not tell you who that is. So there's Ack. And uh, I believe this is the last person, maybe. Uh, maybe not. Uh, is Gerard Butler. This is his 25th film credit, increasing his average film range to a 39.16. It's his only film in the 70s and fifth best movie overall, coming in behind Dear Frankie and ahead of 300. He has a value of negative 17.5. He has a score of 18.76 to be ranked 4,546th overall. One spot behind Jacob Lattimore, one spot ahead of Avril Lavigne. He has the voice of Stoic. And uh, we see a couple of flashbacks to Stoic, which, for my money, uh, having recently watched the first two films, didn't, um, I don't know, he, he, in the first film, he is such a anti-dragon person, and the flashbacks take place after the events that cause him to be like that, yet he doesn't feel like such an anti-dragon person before, so it felt a little, um... A little like rewriting history, almost, for uh, Mr. Gerard Butler. And the actual last person, Olafur Dari Olafsson. Yes, this is his eighth film credit, increasing his average rating to a 30.38. It's his only film in the 70s. It's his best movie. Um, 
coming in ahead of the BFG. He has a value of negative 9, a score of 15.3, and is ranked 4,665 overall. One spot behind Alexandra Daddario, one spot ahead of Kristen Chenoweth. Um, he is the voice of Ragnar the Rock, who I believe is probably another person that hires Grimmel to uh, hunt Toothless, and that's where I'm going to leave it. So, whew, voice rolls. Done and done. Uh, moving on to the genre of the film. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. <clears throat> Rated at 70, 2019 film. Is an action movie. It currently ranks as the 270th action movie. Adventure, it currently ranks as the 266th sixth adventure movie. Uh, animation, it is the 310th animated movie. Comedy, 777th comedy. And fantasy, 214th overall ranked fantasy movie. Uh, just to update the How to Train Dragon series in a little more specificity, this is the fifth film as part of that franchise when you include Gift of the Night Fury and Legend of the Bone Napper Dragon short films, which I do, other people won't. Uh, the five films total are five and a half hours long uh, with an average rating of 66.2. If you exclude the short films, the average rating jumps up to 83.6666666. Repeating. Uh, currently not nominated for any Oscars, but, you know, maybe. Maybe it gets in for animated feature. Um, at this point in time, I think it deserves it, but a lot, lot of year to go. Uh, it is a two on the Bechtel test. I believe every conversation between Valka and Astrid is referring to Hiccup or Toothless in some sense, um, as far as I'm aware. Could be wrong, but that's what I remember. I'll, I'll look into it. MPAA rating is PG, as uh, you might expect. Currently not ranked in the IMDb Top 250. Uh, it is ranked 2,053rd all-time for me, uh, so top third of all films I've seen. I guess that's significant. Uh, and that leaves us with films of the same score as How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Looking at last year, there were a couple, including Wildlife, First match, both got a 70. Uh, look at 2017, you have Lean on Pete, Spider-Man Homecoming, Train Spotting 2, uh, among others. A lot of short films in here. And 2016, you have Under the Shadow, Morris from America, Tower, Rogue One. Um, 2015, go back to uh, A Perfect Day, Crimson Peak, X-Men Days of Future Past, Neighbors, Gloria, The Immigrant, The Unknown Known, Hours, um, A Band Called Death, Big Miracle, Cedar Rapids, The Innkeepers, Another Earth, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 3, The Informant, Mr. Nobody, Madagascar 2, so on and so forth. Um, which, gives a, which leads us to... Um, this is, with a rating of 70, this is the 103rd film to receive this rating. 103rd film. A lot of them. Well, I mean, all the ratings really have a lot of a lot of them. And that brings us to the Circle of Awards. Okay, so again, 
full transparency, I don't have exact orders for any of the categories except picture, as you know, all the films have a rating attached to them. Hatter Train Dragon is currently in the category of best picture. Um, uh, director. Some of the ca- some of the uh, options um, definitely on the short list, quote unquote short list. You've got Soderbergh's High Flying Bird, Cornish for the Kid Who Would Be King, uh, Shyamalan in Glass, um, Lego Movie Two, uh, Fighting with my- Stephen Merchant for Fighting with the Family, and and Dean DeBlas for for How to Train Your Dragon. Definitely on the conversation at the moment. Lead performances. Oh my goodness, so many. Already feels like so many to choose from. Glass, uh, Rosa Salazar in Alita, High Flying Bird again, Kid Would Be King, Lego Movie for Chris Pratt, uh, theoretically Taraji P. Henson for What Men Want, maybe uh, Jessica Roth for uh, Happy Death Day, two, um, Fighting With My Family for Florence Pugh, Jay Baruchel, How to Train Your Dragon. Supporting, way too many to really go into all the details, but movies being considered, uh, Glass, Kid Will Be King, Lego Movie, Escape Room, perhaps, uh, Fighting With My Family, How to Train Your Dragon, those are the big ones. Um, screenplay, Kid Will Be King, High Flying Bird, it's mostly the same films, all right, like, that's, that's where we're at. Uh, some films that have, uh, other other movies, let's see, what I haven't mentioned so far. Kitbull, Pixar short film, definitely a consideration in in picture, director, special effects, scene. Uh, you've got Alita in special effects, tactile effects, scene. Money Carnica, I've t- which I did a review episode on before. Uh, in, in lead, in, in song, definitely. Lego movie, a lot of song nominees at the moment. I think How to Train Your Dragon has an original song in it. Uh, I'll have to check that out. Score, How to Train Your Dragon. Visuals, How to Train Your Dragon. It looks incredible. That uh, just Roger Deakins is the consultant cinematographer for How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, and the whole trilogy, actually. Unbelievable visual effects from the, in this movie. I, I, not, I mean, not even visual effects, but just visual look. The look of the movie is stunning. When they enter the titular hidden world... Oh my goodness! It, it, you know, parts of it reminded me, gave me Coco flashbacks of of the De- Land of the Dead. It, it just, it looks incredible. It's, it's so beautiful. It's so brilliant. Uh, also, special effects nominee: The Wandering Earth, China's film. Um, maybe uh, special effects uh, for One Breath Around the World, which is a short dock that that goes under the water and, and follows a free diver which I thought did a great job of just having incredible cinematography, incredible cinematography. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that's kind of the, the gist of things. You know, not again, not too many films. Uh, looking at what I've seen, some of the things that might have made it in. Otherwise, um, it's pretty much it. You know, maybe Velvet Buzzsaw gets a couple of acting uh, slots for the moment. But um, that's that's relatively it for the for the time being, and uh, I'll, I'll finalize uh, an actual list sometime this week and and publish that on the site. Uh, 
That's it for today's episode. Uh, speaking of the site, if you want to find more episodes, if you want to find uh, Circle of Film Awards, both the 2018 one and the upcoming 2019 uh, early nominations, you can head over to circleoffilm.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter at Circle of Film, on Letterboxd at Circle of Film, or email me, circleoffilm at gmail.com. Uh, love to hear anyone else's reactions to the Oscars. I, I'm always curious to see where people stand on, on what took place. If you would like to support the show, um, easiest way to do that is on iTunes. Like and, and, and review and subscribe. Any of that stuff is incredibly helpful. Or if you want to go a little bit further, a little extra effort, you can always subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash circle of film for as little as eight cents an episode. And uh, that's also incredibly, incredibly nice. <laughs> um, Thank you for listening to today's episode. It does mean a lot. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be saying goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be saying adieu. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, oh, what are we to say? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.